My deep appreciation of theater history was instilled in me by Tom Empey, a college mentor to me and hundreds of others. While teaching Greek theater terms, he would grab the fabric of his slacks and say, You see these pants? Euripides, Eumenides making light of content that could be considered rather dry and stuffy while still maintaining respect for the art, which is what I want to do with this podcast. For each episode, I invite a guest from the many paths my theater career has taken me down. I give my guests no idea what we'll be talking about, but they know we're going to find an outrageous story about theater history and perhaps get a better understanding about why we're still doing it after all these years. So welcome to Euripides Humanities, and I am your host, Aaron Odom. Hey there, friends and listeners. This is Aaron Odom from Trident Theater in Sheridan, Wyoming, coming to you for another episode of Euripides, Eumenides, a theater history podcast. Hey, gang, here we are, episode number 35. Holy smokes, this has gone so far. I love it. And I am coming to you today with the second half of my discussion with producer Richard Jordan, who is coming to me from London. He and I discussed the musical The Book of Mormon, and we're bringing you the second half now. So if you haven't gone back and listened to the first half, go back and do that or check out any of our other stuff. And again, don't forget, once you're done, like, share, subscribe. Hey, write us a review. This is how this show grows and gets to more people. And I have a lot of stuff to go over. So without further ado, I give you the second half to the postmortem episode of The Book of Mormon. I'm going to take a little bit of a jerk uh, in another direction here because one thing you brought up was you have your longtime musical fans that came into this not knowing if they would enjoy it or not. And one of the greatest things about Book of Mormon, in my opinion, is the skill of the songwriting, perfectly personified in that song, uh, uh, Turn It Off. Um, you could, I could hear Turn It Off in one of the great musicals in the golden age of Broadway. It is structured so much like that. And what Matt and Trey have said about it is, uh, you know, the fact that we have these pie-eyed Mormon kids in the middle of some of the worst human strife that can ever be suffered, uh, and they're still just kind of going, well, I guess it's okay lends itself so well to like a very upbeat golden age of Broadway musical sound. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but what it's not doing is it's not trying to send that sound up. And no. I think that's an important, if you take a show like Something Rotten, which of course comes some years later, they do that big, great first act song, but it's called It's a Musical. It's a song that Nostradamus comes out and sings. And they have all <laughs> these, but it really is a send up of, of musicals through history. And it's, it's a clever song and it works in its particular way. But the interesting thing about Book of Mormon is those songs are really played straight. 
They're yeah. not, you know, yeah. and actually that's why you could take that show and you could quite comfortably put that probably into a golden age of musicals number. It's mm-hmm. it's it's really following the rules and, and, and the structure. And it's it's very respectful to what's been before. It, it, Absolutely. it, it really is giving a nod to that and saying we're taking this form and we're taking all the greatness of it and all the lessons that we as writers and composers learn from it and like, and we're taking the wheel and we're molding it into that a little bit and we're taking that journey on a little bit of a step further. It's exactly what Jonathan Larson does with Rent in a totally yes. different, uh, but he respects what's gone before and he takes that and he shapes it and he moves the form forward. And that right. I think is one of the great things about musicals and certain musicals, if you look through the eras of musical history, where they take that respect and they carry the form forward. And, and legacy is really, really important. And if there's, if there's people who are listening who are, who are musical theatre writers or wanting to write musicals, I think it's a really important thing that you need to understand where you came from to know how to get back in, in, in theatre writing. And yep. actually one of the great yep. things of that is those lessons by going back to those early musicals and looking and saying, so why does South Pacific work? Why does Oklahoma work? And, and Oklahoma mm-hmm. can stand up to being restructured and, 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 and changes it as it's just been in the, in the, in the more recent Broadway revival, which was right, a very radical right. revival by Daniel Fish. But you know mm-hmm. what? In that, the, the chord structure, all of that is still very much, that's not been messed around with. And, and actually that the show itself has still stayed pretty much true to its book, although it's got a, a new shape and a new structure to it. It still right. is, um, it's still showing you how durable that show is from the time it was written and that it can, that it can take that. But it's actually also about being, you know, very respectful to that, but it's understanding how the arc of those shows work and, and why shows work. You know, if you look, I mean, you think about Evita and those shows, I mean, as we've talked mm-hmm. about before, um, and if people go back, I think, and listen to the Spider-Man podcast we talk about, I think we talk about it in there, but we, we talk about the fact of the fact being when we looked at uh, and mentioned Hamilton within that, that if you probably hadn't had Evita, you wouldn't have had Hamilton because actually right. Evita right. shows you a way of how to make something work that actually clearly Lin-Manuel Miranda has looked at very closely and, and yep. studied the form of that, as he has done with those earlier Hammerstein and Rogers, Rogers and Hammerstein musicals and things as well, and, and actually yep. how you morph all of that to move forward. Jonathan Larson did it in, in exactly the same way, and uh, and I think you, you you see that very evidently in, in, in Book of Mormon going on yeah. as well. Now, I want to I go back to Oklahoma for just a second, because it's going to transition me into where we are today with Book of Mormon, okay? Um, on episode 24, um, uh, if you go back and listen to that, uh, I speak with a good friend of mine and we speak with our respective children on uh, on the topic of what is appropriate on stage anymore. And as we're going forward, we're finding places where arguably uh, some musicals are not standing the test of time. And some shows are not meeting the fashion of today. And this is kind of one of those unfortunate things about cancel culture. You know, um, I mean, there is a point where you go, yes, that is a sexist thing. But at that time, that's that's just what they did. And Oklahoma has been getting a lot of scrutiny in that. Now, where I'm taking this with uh, uh, Book of Mormon is the reopening. Uh, And I'm sure you heard about this, and I'm very interested to hear your perspective on this. But uh, since the play reopened in 2011, many social activism movements began in regards to gender equality and racial equality. 
In 2020, African-American George Floyd was publicly murdered by police, which ignited protests and riots all across the country for months afterwards, including several more events of police violence and murders of Black, Indigenous peoples of color. Now, in the theater world, one example of how this was addressed was in the form of an open letter from the from many of the current and former Black members of the Book and Mormon cast on Broadway, including Nikki James, who played the female lead, Nabalungi, in the original cast. They wrote this letter and said, in the light of what has happened since pandemic has started, the way that Black people are portrayed in this play is different than when it opened. And I think it needs to be looked at. So from my understanding, what happened from there is, you know, uh, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, Robert Lopez, and the director all, all I think it was like a, a, a big Zoom meeting and everything and, and, and several Zoom meetings, actually, where their approach was, OK, we're not going to make this play more air quotes woke. We're not going to approach it from a, an element of making it more politically correct. What we're going to do is address the issues and make the play better. So more specifically, I think the issue was... For one thing, there was a, a a very serious white savior complex lens that you could look at the play from. You know, at the end of the day, it was Elder Cunningham who was able to convert a lot of people, and he was the most inept of any of them. But you also have these uh, Ugandans who seem almost naive in a way in the original production. I hesitate to use the word gullible, but I'm going to go ahead and use the word gullible. And so uh, it sounds as though uh, the most recent, uh, when they when they re redid it or when they reopened it, there's a lot more attention paid to the fact that you know these are actual salient people. They have uh, a, a good sound reasoning, and they're using the uh, the the story of the of the show to strengthen themselves as people rather than people who. Just thank God these white boys showed up. You know what I mean? So I don't know, Richard. I don't, I don't know how you feel about all this. It, it's a really interesting question because um, I think, okay, let's look at to start with. If Book of Mormon arrived on desks in 2022 as a new musical being pitched to be written or, or, or put on with its, with its subject matter, people, based on where we are at this moment in time, might have said, no, we can't. We can't do this. Um, you know, it's it's. Is there too much of a nervousness about putting a show like that on now? Just right. by you know, I mean, you know, just in the pitch that you gave when you tried to explain it through the storyline, <laughs> you're sitting there. You probably would see that the the, the, the the color drain from producers' faces as they're sitting there saying, "Oh, you know, it's just it's too much of a." It's leaving COVID and all of those things, which add a second dimension of risk. Oh my God! Something, but they might just well say, you know, this is this is just too 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 dangerous for us to try and put on. Uh, the reaction could be terrible, and you know, we may never work again as a result of that. I think that's a shame. So it's, it comes to a point of a question about shows and 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 timing. Um, I personally, I, I have a, a, quite a big issue in a sense with with all these books being 
rewritten by a new person so like you can't do kiss me kate as kiss me kate anymore you have to do kiss me kate with a new book being rewritten by this by this person um uh, of a new of a new writer because actually people are nervous that what's in kiss me kate based on the time it was written you know yeah. might therefore offend people it's like i mean you can't there's arguments now can you do tamey of the shrew as tamey of the shrew which of course is what kiss me kate is, is shakespeare's play tamey of the shrew um uh, and obviously because of how that uh, the, the characters are portrayed with treating women and things within that, uh, uh, you know, is that right now that we're seeing that in, in Kiss Me Kate? Can that go ahead? Has it got to be rewritten? And certainly the most recent roundabout revival was very much the case that they felt, no, it couldn't go as it was. It had to have a new book written. And in a way, the new book kind of fell between two stores. It didn't really hit any of the marks of where it was going to. Maybe it would be better to have done it as... Cole Porter had written it as the show was right. and actually have some very strong debate and conversation about what that show was happening at that time and where we are now and what that's representing because you you can't sadly just erase the past and think it's no. all going to go away by rewriting a new book or trying to change something right. um, you know I mean there's certain shows where you might sit down now and really scratch your head I mean like you know you, you put on Gigi now and you have a song called you know, what, Thank Heavens for Little Girls you're going right. to be asking yourself right. a question or two about it actually I mean yeah, which is a shame that you know you wonder if Gigi would ever get put on again because actually Gigi is a beautiful score but it's um you know it's there's connotations within that that, that really do raise questions of where you're going but it is a really complicated question and I think uh Book of Mormon is 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 probably by its nature uh, a challenging show that is indeed it it, it is there to confront you, um, right? You know they 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 don't apologise for what you're what you're walking into. Um, it's a really difficult question, isn't it? And I yeah. think it's sitting in a particular time where we do need to have these conversations. We do need to be talking about uh, you know what do things represent where are we now and 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 hopefully with things like george floyd and things and, and coming out of the other side we're realizing it's a hell of a long journey that we're still on but actually people are having those conversations and coming to them but that doesn't yeah. mean that you can't eradicate and cancel what's been before right you need to be looking at that and also learning from it but not just erasing the past by re by rewriting it and 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 also those yeah. things are written at a certain time and they represent something at that certain time and actually we need to be having those big discussions about those works as well and there have been little changes made to other shows as well i mean hamilton has a scene where thomas jefferson uh his mistress who he had several children with who was black uh you know is in the play and turns her back on him very very obviously like you can see it and um it's just a very tiny brief moment in the show but that was something that was brought up they said we don't want to present her as somebody who is accepting this person's behavior there are a couple others i could think of but uh, yeah i mean it, it can be somewhat problematic but in a way i have to credit the the creative team behind book of mormon for taking the challenge on and saying mm -hmm. If the show is not working for the place that we're at right now, because I, I think if anybody is, <laughs> if anybody could be uh, socially conscious, it, it, it's Trey Parker and Matt Stone. I mean, what issue have they not taken on, you know? And I, I loved their approach of being able to say, we don't want to rewrite it. We want to make the show we wrote better. And I think there's a great lesson to be learned on that because I think you have to look at the producers 
to look at how they stand by that and the great writing of Mel Brooks, who takes exactly that same view, you know, you know, yeah. you, 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 what you're looking at, with you know, you've got a second act where you've got a song in the British springtime from Hitler. You're putting yeah. a musical on about Adolf Hitler. You know I mean? It's, 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 you know, there's a lot of stuff within that that you can see people could get very bristled and very upset and very angry. Oh yeah. Away. Yeah. But actually, he doesn't apologize for it. He 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 writes in a particular way. And I think, again, you know, you look at uh, the, the, the Book of Mormon writers and say, I think they're very influenced by by looking at the producers and and actually how that succeeded as because I, I would think really when you look at it, probably Book of Mormon is the next great comedy musical that followed after mm -hmm. producers in terms of that. And actually, you know, it's in, in the time we're in, it, you know, even right from when the producers first came out as a movie to when that musical opened, it would be very easy for people to get very, very angry about what the producers were oh, representing. Yeah. Yeah. And, things. and they, and they didn't. And yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a boldness to, to writing. It's a fearlessness, but I think it's also because you're coming at it from the right place. They can justify why they're writing this and, and, and what they're doing, but they're also not trying to rewrite. They're not trying to rewrite it. They're not trying to write this to please everyone. They're right. writing something that they want to write and they are writing it from them for themselves to share with an audience and, and actually listening. And I think, you know, when you write, the other skill is, is listening. So you're, you're judging the measure of the room and it's how far can we push this? How far can we take that? Mel, you know, Mel, Mel Brooks is one of the great examples of that because throughout oh, yeah. his yeah. writing, he understands how far can I push this? And, you know, you can realize that audiences can take quite a lot. And an audience will tell you ultimately what's working and what uh, and what isn't working. And I think they are often the people you have to take most as the compass and not necessarily all the other people who are around the room who or people who haven't even seen the show, but are just reading it in the newspaper and having a comment to yeah. actually tell you what's yeah. working and what isn't working. I mean, actually, uh, I, I couldn't find it. A previous guest told me, hey, I got to send you this uh, article where I think it was uh, an LDS kind of influenced paper who really took umbrage with the writing of the musical. And I said, this is not what we believe. And Trey and Matt went right back and they, had, they said, actually, here, I'll just go ahead and open your book of faith and show you exactly everything that is in your book of scripture that we took as source material. You you say that that's not what you believe. It's in your book. I'm holding it right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting because I mean, on a totally different note. I mean, if you take Jesus Christ Superstar, Jesus oh, Christ Superstar, it's easy to forget how much controversy and and protest there was when that musical arrived. Oh yeah, but yeah. actually, Jesus Christ Superstar is, is is in many ways a very true reading of that gospel. I mean, the big argument that. Christians have a lot over Jesus Christ Superstar. I did have was that it doesn't go as far as doing the resurrection. It, right. uh, you know, it sort of ends where it ends. And actually, in a way, I think that's probably an argument that there's a bizarrely there was one version of Jesus Christ Superstar that toured in the 80s where they did add a resurrection at the end, <laughs> which I'm sure. Well, I don't know whether that was ever allowed. But well, it seems to something they could appear as. A, but there was a, what's interesting about Superstar is, and I think it's one of the greatest pieces of musical writing that um, Lloyd Webber ever ever wrote. But when the movie is made, there is a piece afterwards called, I think it's called John 19, and it's actually the piece of music that plays in the credits, and it's a piece that Lloyd Webber wrote for the film, and it plays uh -huh. at the end. It's an it's, it's purely an orchestral piece. 
that piece to me frames almost that feeling afterwards of resurrection and sound and it sort of oh, almost has okay. a feeling that just comes in there and how it sits lyrically at the end and it's if you mm-hmm. if you go away and have a listen to it it's it's on the it's on the um the, the, the movie it's not on any of the other recordings but it's an incredibly powerful piece of musical writing that really evokes quite an emotion and feeling within that but i mean i always laugh jesus christ superstar uh, my dad went to see it at the cinema in norwich uh, when it had first come out and of course he'd gone in and there'd been some of the religious groups protesting outside the, the, the cinema and he'd sat down and he watched the film and he couldn't believe it at the end because when the lights came up he suddenly realized a group of people standing up and realized it was all black habits and it was a group of nuns who'd come in as a group of party <laughs> come, into the, come into the odian cinema and knowledge and it all slipped in and watched the movie and they stayed they stayed with the whole thing so, oh my you know, gosh it sort of turns around and, uh, and, oh. and, and says something but i think that's that's another thing again um it's about the true reading and, and it's justifying your source material and here we are again superstar does that and yep. it's a very truthful reading i think to the to, to to the scripture and 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 you know again they can justify with book of mormon what they've written because actually they've gone back to the source material and said you know we have followed the story and yeah we've followed the material so actually if you're going to challenge us we're actually being very respectful towards it yeah the story we're telling is that yeah the people who follow your faith are yeah. actually doing good in the world. Yeah. And I think Superstar <laughs> is a very respectful retelling of the, of, of, of the Bible. You know, it's a very respectful musical. And as you're sitting here talking about Jesus Christ Superstar, I'm realizing that I made a serious bonehead move. I just recently put out an episode on Passion Plays in America and didn't talk about Jesus Christ Superstar once. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, one of the greatest musicals of all time. I mean, you know, yeah. without Superstar, again, you would not have what followed what followed next. I mean, yep. the rock musical, uh, you know, that, that Superstar did and the the, the, the journey that, that begins from the next yep. era. I mean, Superstar really begins here and here be, starts it and then Superstar quickly follows up. And Superstar really pushes musical form forwards. And, and actually, it's some of the greatest writing in, in modern musical theater in, in that show, actually. And, and where is Godspell in all of that? Well, Godspell, uh, I think, comes after Superstar. Um, right. This right, interesting yeah. thing, of course, is that uh, I don't think Godspell stands up as well as, as Superstar does. Uh, Godspell, no, I agree movie, with you I there. Think, is pretty awful. Um, it, <laughs> uh, it Superstar makes. I think Superstar actually is one of the best, personally, one of the best films of a musical ever made. Yeah. Um, yeah. Juson's movie. I think is sensational. And the way he twisted on it, that, that scene where in, in that movie, you have Judas suddenly coming through the desert and the tanks all coming up from behind him. There is a, mm-hmm. there is a lot of great stuff in that movie. And, uh, and it is one of, I think one of the great movie musicals. The only thing that I think lets it down a little bit is, is uh, the Herod scene. I don't think that Zero Mostel's son who plays that role, whose name I can't, I can't remember as Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he, I think he's the only weak part, slightly weak link in that whole movie. But I mean, Carl Anderson in that, uh, in that movie as, as Judas uh, is, is fantastic. I mean, there was controversy now about that musical because people complain that of course the only black character in uh, Superstar is Judas. Yeah. Yeah. So actually today, that's had quite a, a lot of, you know, negative reaction towards the film and that discussion. But uh, having said that, I mean, Carl Anderson is, is, is one of the great is one of the great film musical theatre performances, if you watch that. And one of the great tragedies is how young Carl Anderson sadly was when he passed, passed away. And, you know, I mean, 
Ted was it Ted, Ted, Ted Neely who played who played Superstar is still I think going around America dining out on the name of having played that in the concerts that he still does going around the country so it sort of made his career really for him I saw him do it on tour when I was in in high school and that yeah. was in in the mid 90s and <laughs> so, yeah. you know in a way again I think Trey and Matt look at superstar and look at the reaction and how that worked and they look at you know how those things are because i think all those lessons of those past musicals come into them understanding why book of mormon will work for them and actually they are respectful as are those shows as is the producers as is superstar well superstar is not a comedy musical unlike the producers but but they are respectful to their source material um, you know, Godspell, when we touched on that just very briefly, I mean, Godspell is still a popular community musical. I'm always, when I see Godspell, I always want it to give me a little bit more than it actually gives me. I never yeah. come out feeling I get yeah. what I want out of Godspell. It feels more like I'm watching a series of theatre games and, uh, you know, they're all having a, a nice time. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's some lovely songs. On the Willows is a, is a beautiful song in that. A beautiful City, which was a, a song they put in the movie, then they added it into subsequent productions, I think is a, is a great show, but it, it's a great song, but it, it, it it's, it's very dated Godspell. Interesting, when I go back to Superstar and, I, and when I listen to that score, I always some, find something else or something more in that score when I listen to it. Even And I've listened to it many, many times, even mm-hmm. now. And I actually strangely have the same thing with Book of Mormon. When I go back and I listen to that score, I find yeah. more stuff in it. And I think that's the same with often what's a great musical. You know, I listen to Oklahoma, I still find stuff in it. When I listen to yeah. Hamilton, I do. And I yeah. think when you want to come back and revisit something, it's probably also the hint that you've got a bit of a hit on your hands, possibly as a composer. But oh my God. One of the yeah. joys of you as an audience member. I've seen Book of Mormon a few times and I find something new in it every time I come back. And, and you yeah. know, it's, it's one of those great pleasures of, yeah. of, of going to yeah. see musicals and why you go back and see a show more than once sometimes. Well, I'll say this to kind of wrap things up here. Um, I think, you know, as I as I mentioned when we started this episode, you know, coming out of pandemic, uh, that is still somewhat looming and still somewhat dangerous. You know, the public theater just had to close their show that was uh, running and they don't know when they'll reopen. But as far as uh, from a commercial standpoint, we needed things that were going to fill seats. And yeah, Book of Mormon fills seats every time, every time, every place it goes, it fills up. You look at some of the other stuff that has come back. They brought Beetlejuice back because people needed something fun. Music Man is doing great right now on Broadway because people are just having a wonderful time. You know, and Music Man is is definitely at, at the bottom of my list of least favorite musicals. But seeing Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster just have a ball with that show, everybody's having a great time. And I think Book of Mormon, they went, let's bring back the funniest musical ever and help people realize how they love theater again. And also, I think, I think you're 100% right, because there's another thing about all these shows and why they work. And I think it's the one thing we haven't touched on, but why they succeed is we talk about on stage as, as people who create shows and make shows and, and those who act about playing the truth. Yeah. And when you watch those shows, they're 100% truthful in the performance. You invest in those characters and you believe because you're playing the truth, because the writers themselves also believe so much in it that they're playing the truth in what they've written so the arc of it becomes absolutely wedded and threaded together so actually that team of people that are making it are in it for the ride yeah. and it's 
the difference between a great musical and a bad musical is the fact that the truth is there and that belief of it is there and you can sense it. Uh, you know, sometimes you can smell a hit and Book of Mormon is an interesting one because it's sort of crept in. People were curious about it. Those who were the South Park people who were fans were excited. Those perhaps who not so much fans of South Park were a little bit more nervous about where it was going to go. Yeah. But once you started to hear about it, coming on Broadway and what was going on inside the room, there was this feeling that there was a sort of smell of a hit in the air. And yeah. it's weird, you sort of can get a sense about it. And, and you look at it, and when, why do things work? Well, people completely believe in something, but when they completely believe in something, it's also because they're absolutely playing the truth in it to you on stage. Yes, And yes. I came and watched Book of Mormon. I saw Book of Mormon in its previews on Broadway. And, so, and I just felt that that show was absolutely playing the truth out at you in the same way as I felt when I watched Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick doing The Producers in the same way as I've watched, you know, some, some great productions over the years of, 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 of Superstar and certainly Evita and, and many other musicals. Those ones that succeed is that feeling of they're playing the truth and that makes me fully invested in it. Yeah. And so it can be the most craziest show, you know, mm -hmm. but if I, but you know, take the Rocky Horror show. You know, you look at one of the greatest comedy performances, but one of the great musicals is Tim Curry in that show. You watch oh, my movie, God. It explodes yeah. out at you. But in yeah. every sense, you say Tim Curry is playing the truth. Yes. I feel like I'm watching this and I'm completely invested in it. Right. And I think that's what makes those movies and those musicals last the test of time, you know, yep. in that way. And that's why I think with Book of Mormon, it will it will be the musical of the comedy musical that sits through that era. I'm always nervous when people say it's the greatest musical of the century or it's the funniest musical I've ever seen, because it doesn't give you any room for what comes next. Right. I think those <laughs> press statements can be a bit dangerous. But I do think that when we look at it, I suspect in 10 or 15 years' time, we are still going to be finding audiences coming to see Book of Mormon. It may not still be on Broadway. I'm pretty certain it'll still be touring. And I think out of all those comedy musicals of that era, it is the one that will that will last that, that length of time. I said in my last episode, my last episode was on uh, how Tartuffe was banned when Moliere wrote it. And uh, I, I began the discussion with several quotes about comedy and playing the truth in comedy. You can always spy the actor who is working really hard for a laugh, but it's the person that plays the truth and the pain of the moment. I put it in a column I recently wrote, you know, humor is pain that is happening to somebody else and not to you at exactly this moment. It's it's the groom's pants falling down on his wedding day. It's the cream pie in the face of somebody. It's, you know, the cold bucket of water over the head. It's not happening to you. And that person is going through that pain right now. And the fact that in Book of Mormon, those people go through that pain, but still find a triumph at the end. That's, to me, that's, that's you know, playing the truth at that moment. If you do not play the truth of those characters, it doesn't work. And that's the same in every form. I mean, like, you know, the greatest skill, one of the greatest skills of acting is farce acting, you know. I mean, those... Oh, my God. Actually the skill of farce acting has died because, I mean, unfortunately, farce got branded a lot more with being able to sort of do its very sexist sort of sex sex comedies and people, you know, losing their trousers and running around. There's a lot more to it than that, I have to say. And actually, it does that art form a, a very big disservice. But act, a lot of actors at drama school aren't taught to, to, to the art of farce acting anymore and how you, right. how you do that. But actually, when right. you look at those older school actors doing those those performances, like the Ben Ricks farces, the Ray Cooney farces, these are firstly genius pieces of, of writing and construction, um, but also how those actors play that. And it's, it's again, you know, in a farce that they're playing the truth. 
they're, they're mm-hmm. you know they're, they're, it's about how they you know it can be mo- the most absurd situation but they have created a world within a world with its own reality that Absolutely. so long as they play that truth that means that you as an audience completely invest in it the audience will go wherever you take them so long as they know who's driving the car who's got the map Absolutely. and it's coming because again that truth is being played and in book of mormon the situation and the show itself is kind of when you think about it the kind of completely absurd oh yeah but in that two hours and 30 minutes or so of time this world is created within a world through its strength of fantastic book writing by 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 the writers of the show and through the strength of some extremely good performances but also that's very very sharply directed as well and actually within all of that it perfectly comes together in the sense that because that truth is being played we completely invest in this world that's created and and it also has something really powerful to say to us at the end of the show and that's the makings of a great piece of theater absolutely it doesn't come along very often but when you do you you grab it with both hands and you also say wow the lessons that you learn from this and what you see and you know, obviously the dissection that we've been making with it in 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 our, in our podcast today but also that one you hope that new musical writers will come in and see but also at the same way that they'll also go back and look at those other shows that have gone before it and sort of said okay so book of mormon works because of this but it's also because it took the lessons of what worked in the producers yep. and what worked in this show and this show that actually has led us to the point of where we've got to now and indeed when they go off those those writers who've seen that show being influenced from watching it in the balcony at uh, you know at, at, at the theater at the moment wherever they're watching it in in, in london or in, in new york or on tour hopefully those writers will be inspired by what they come out then and write next and and actually the wheel and that cycle that cycle continues actually yep oh i couldn't have put it better myself well yeah. There we go. I think we figured yeah. it out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and you know, as I said, I'm looking forward to you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully many more years. I should go back and see the Book of Mormon again because it is one of those shows that you do come out with a big smile on your face and something we've been needing quite a lot of at the moment. Absolutely, I'm so looking forward to to it going on tour again. It's actually also just an enjoyable cast recording to to, to pop off the shelf and pop on the oh. CD player on your on your iPod your, your iPod or something because it is actually a, a, a score that that really stands up just on a listen as well actually absolutely it checks a lot of boxes it yeah. really really does because you can tell that those guys really love musical theater yes and i think and really respect they respect the art form they're not sending it up no and i think you know that's that's really really important to to the success of that show and 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 of course that's you know what's given it its, its legacy and why it is the commercial success that it is and, yeah. and long make long make the sadness is I, I haven't heard if matt and trey are going to write something else or whether this is just a one-off musical for them and maybe that is that's what it is you know i i think uh, in in my research i did find just one little glimmer of it and i think it was from a, uh, an interview they did with john stewart when he was still doing the daily show i, I think the question came up are, are, you, are you writing anything else and they're like we don't have any ideas <laughs> we just don't have any ideas mm-hmm. and but it's got to be that there's got to be that spark there's got to be that thing that has so many elements that works perfectly for them. And I mean, they are given things for their their television show all the time, but that works in a good, you know, 25 minute format. We've touched on this, we've hit it, what's next? This was tackling something that they'd wanted to tackle for years and they finally got it done. I mean, you know, I, I think the same question gets asked of Lin-Manuel Miranda. They're like, okay, what's your next Hamilton? You know, and uh, and the man is constantly working. And the big difference is that Lin-Manuel Miranda has come out as a musical writer and has a career set up as a musical writer. 
Yeah. Matt and Trey didn't come out as being wanting necessarily to have a career as being the future musical composers of Broadway. Right. They came out to write this one show. And what they follow up next with, you know, is if they do do something, it's like that very difficult second album. And maybe, you know, it's the sense of that this ticks the box of what they set out to do and perhaps that's what it is and right. they're not going to be able to better that and actually you know it's not a quit when you're ahead scenario but maybe it is i mean you know robert lopez in, in, in contrast of course has gone off to write frozen and other musicals yep. and he yeah for him as a composer this show serves as a legacy and a journey of where he's going next but you know he's set up as a career of wanting to be a musical composer those right. those two writers didn't come to it with that same agenda you know lloyd yeah. weber and tim rice when they wrote superstar came with a with a with a sack full of other musicals that they wanted to, <laughs> to start thinking about and writing you know it, it didn't it didn't come to it in the same way in this scenario and journey for, for right. matt and trey so you know maybe it is what it is and perhaps that might be the right the right path you know right there's a danger that as soon as you have some success producers are always immediately going on saying what are you going to write next what are you going to write next and trying to say well you know let's do you know, trying to repeat a formula and thinking that uh, you know the formula must be what they want so we're going to do we're going to have a litany of more shows like and the great thing is we haven't had a litany of more shows like book of mormon spongebob squarepants tried to maybe come out and be a sort of comedy musical and it didn't land quite in the same way as it might have done i mean it's the closest comparison of of, of trying to take a, a popular couple of writers and, and and an idea and a tv concept but of course they were trying to emulate the tv show great strength to be said earlier matt and trey weren't trying to do that uh, right. with with south park but it's it it's interesting that you know they've been very resistant probably of doing something else and and producers haven't necessarily tried to keep pressurizing them to try and write something and well uh, I, I i think for them they already know what they're good at and you know i think they went yeah we struck gold that one time and i think it would take something really significant for them to think, okay, we could approach that in this format again. But right now they're still just going, you know, we've had a TV show that's been on for almost 30 years now. I think we know what we're doing. <laughs> As I said, I think, uh, I think the, big, the big challenge is often it's, it's more the producers suddenly saying, well, this has worked, so this must be what the public wants. So oh, let's yeah. try and find yep. what we can find mm -hmm. next. You know, let's get the guys who write The Simpsons to come and write a, a new musical of something. And let's find it. Yeah. And actually it isn't. Book of Mormon is actually that unique, probably one-off kind of show that comes along and it just lands at a certain point. But you know, there's a lot of quite fickle producing in, in the world these days, which is just trying to try and see that you can try and emulate a formula. And even right. when you do do that, sometimes you don't make it as well the next time round, or it's just no. because it's not what it... Compilation musicals are one of the best examples of that because, of course, oh, yeah. you, know, you get a success with one compilation and then everyone else is trying to emulate the formula saying, well, what, music, what musicians' back catalogue's about to become available? Exactly. Idea for a musical and actually you know what uh it's it doesn't work like that it's no there was this this pattern of of trying to trying to think about that in a certain way you know hey is maybe jay-z wants to do a musical you know it's, yeah, it's right. not the way it's not the way that you're thinking about how to write musicals but we are in a very bad zone at times in musical theatre where this path seems to be taking us down in a certain certain you know rabbit hole actually and it's one we've got to be very careful on because you can really damage the skill and the art form of new original musicals and book Correct. of mormon of course again knocks that straight out of the park because it is a new original musical yep. and actually that we really need more of because you know it's it's if you if you keep going back to pop stars writing musicals all the time those new writers aren't 
necessarily getting the, the, the looking that they want. And, and equally, if you're, if you're just going into all these, you know, movie to musical adaptations, oh, you're yeah. not having composers writing their own original musicals that they want to write about. And that, I think, again, is another great strength about Book of Mormon. It's not South Park. Those guys went away and they wrote an original musical. Yep. And actually, wouldn't it be fantastic if we are looking at some of those other people and some of those composers where we are saying that there's a lesson to be learned from this and actually what we need to be looking at is more new original musicals coming to coming to Broadway and, and the right. West End. Right. You're talented at what you do. Find an idea that matches your talent. Yeah. And also, do you know what? An audience will come to a new original musical. They, they don't will. Just have to come and see a movie being adapted. <laughs> and Book of Mormon kind of proves that point. Right. So did... Dear Evan Hansen, so yeah. did Hamilton. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, but they're they're yeah. a, they're a tough old thing to try and get through because you've got to try and get through the you know, quite a fight to get through all of that. And there is a danger coming back from COVID as people try and play it safe. Oh yeah, yeah. We will see less new original musicals and more compilations and more old musical revivals, but possibly more movie to, to musical adaptations. Yeah, we we've talked about that on this program before. Is like, you know, when we come back, are we going to have an audience for new stuff or are we just gonna say, hey, you like this before we shut yeah. down. Why don't you just come consume yeah. this again? And, and it's really important because if you turn around to a group of young people and say, what do you think the West End is or what do you think Broadway is? Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of them will turn around and say, you know, when it's The Lion King or in the UK, they might say it's Tina the Musical or they'll rustle off a couple of other compilations, MJ the Musical or something like that. That that certainly is something, but it's not how it was, you know, even two decades before when we were seeing a lot of these original musicals and things breaking through and certainly not through the golden age of Broadway in those times. And actually, it's really important that people coming through and getting interested in theatre going now are also seeing that canvas that it is actually also about the original and the new work that you come in and embrace yeah. and see that's actually as much a place. How can we can... progress this form even further? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the biggest challenge that all of us in the theatre and produ- who produce work and, and develop work and produce, fight. It's a really big challenge, but also, yeah. you know, you've got to be very careful because you can easily skip a generation. If you lose that generation, you lose that theatre-going habit inside them or their belief that that is what what they see is if that's what they see as theater is today because they mm-hmm. haven't got anything to compare it with what, what's gone before it's really important that you are not losing original new musical writing and original new plays within all of that because actually yeah. that is the lifeblood of this industry and absolutely and, and indeed the writers and those people otherwise you'll you'll lose them to to film and tv and and actually where they can get employment and get work and you need to be able to have that constant stream of new work that's coming in that is entirely original, not adapted, as I say, from a, a back catalogue of a pop star or, a, a, you know, a, a musical. Yeah. Well, not to blaspheme, but thank God for Book of Mormon. Uh- <laughs> Glad it's in our, our theatre going lives. Absolutely. Well, Richard, there we go. I think we nailed it. We figured out what worked about Book of Mormon. Oh, man. I'll take my white coat off and put my scalpel away. There you go. <laughs> oh man well thanks again so much for being on this program i think we really got a lot of interesting stuff talked about here and for my listeners this is the end of another episode of euripides humanities a theater history podcast we'll be back in another two weeks with another episode and i will see you at intermission <laughs>